family. It is good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? I appreciate each and every one of you being here. I appreciate our staff today. And uh, you know, sometimes they stand on this stage and, and, and sometimes you don't know that everybody's got, they got lives too, that they, they deal with ups and downs and highs and lows. And um, Jace has already learned in these three short years of, of ministry of the right way and the right thing to say to you. And he said, church family, there's a real sweet presence of the Lord here today. What he meant by that was it's very quiet in here today. <laughs> and it's the typical lull that happens on the backside of Easter. That's typically what it is. But I've determined in my heart that I'm not going to let that happen to me. Right? The preacher said last week that... Um, He's been risen every day for now on 2,000 years. And we're going to get up in the morning and he still have, will have risen from the dead. And uh, we're going to share, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna recount some things today. I just thought to myself, I said, you know, this, is, this, this context of the resurrection of Jesus is too great. It's too deep. It's too wonderful. It's too marvelous for us to just glance at it once a year. And move on to uh, seven steps to a better life. Right? So we're going we're gonna to kind of pick things back up here. I feel privileged to have the opportunity to share with you the Word of God. I, I appreciate you coming out and, um, you know, responding to uh, being disciplined, coming to the Lord's house today. So we're going we're gonna to turn, if you would, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to join my words with JoJo. We're looking forward to Wednesday night. Um, now, that means there won't be service here. Uh, that means if you come here, there'll be a sign on the door that says, go to the pavilion. But it's our way of kind of celebrating this study that we conducted where we split the men and the women's groups up for eight weeks. And, uh, and, and both groups really were edified, sharpened, found deeper fellowship, and I think have, have, have an excitement about the future uh, for our church family. So it's a little moment of celebration for us. So we're very much looking forward to that. It's First Peter chapter number one. I'm gonna, it's on the screen, but I want to turn in my own Bible with you. And so surely I can find it since I chose the text. Why don't y'all stand up with me today? First Peter chapter number one, verses one through five. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now you remember he was... Uh, the one that was referenced last Sunday in our Easter Resurrection Sunday morning message as the, um, as, as the man that ministered the first word to a, a populace of people concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And now, many years later, he's writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, if I have pronounced those correctly. Elect according to the foreknowledge. Look at this. He's talking to you. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's powerful, isn't it? Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. How I many you know that's really what you need in your life? You need God's grace and you need His peace and you need it to be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now focus on verse 3 with me. Which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isn't that powerful? Let's read that part one more time. We're only going to read two more verses. It says here, let's read that latter part. It says, He has, according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Verse 5, you, here's, who you, here's what you are. You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I am grateful today for this lively hope that we now have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what's on my heart, to extend the moment that we had last week where we all pondered about the power of his resurrection. Now we want to unlock it a little bit deeper. I believe when you see it through the right lens, it produces a lively hope, a living hope in your life, correct? Let's pray. Father, I love you. I feel honored to be here with this glorious group of men and women. I'm so thankful to be here and to be able to be called their pastor, their friend, Father, in the name of Jesus, and, and yet to be a students together of the Word of God. Father, I know that the Bible says in 1 John 1 that the Spirit of God teaches us we have no need for any man to teach us. But, Father, to balance that, you have called pastors to be teachers, to edify and build up the body. And I pray that through my personal meditations and study, the things that you put on my heart, God will be readily received by those that are listening today. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. You can be seated. You know, the dynamic of preaching has changed a lot over the short time that I've been a pastor for 26 years now, and, uh, and, you're, and you're still, you're growing and maturing, you're striving to be able to, um, to, to adapt to a changing culture, yet at the same time remaining true to who you are. Um, you know, I've told you before, everybody, every pastor has, has their own personal uh, way of studying, they have their own personal way then of pondering and meditating, arriving at conclusions that then they feel empowered to share those with their listening audience. And then the, the, the way in which we communicate today has changed a lot. And, and I shared with you last week that when, when I minister the Word as a, as, a, as a pastor, you know, from my, the way that I do it is, is I simply try to take spiritual truths, compare them with other spiritual truths, and share them with spiritual people. Does that, do you understand that a little bit? So, so let me go back before we go forward. I want to go back to last week for just a brief moment. And that was in uh, the, the, the context of the message, a mictum of David. Does anybody remember that? A mictum of David, which I know that was a word that you had, you had read it previously, but probably um, were unaware of its meaning, simply a, uh, something written, uh, if we will, an inspired poem and, and yet it was a revelation that from the poetic pen of the psalmist David that when the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit of God has been poured out and a large crowd has gathered somewhere adjacent to the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem and the very first gospel message is preached following the resurrection of Christ 50 days after his resurrection, I found, uh, I found it very compelling that Peter did not use his personal testimony as an eyewitness to be the, the point of contention to say, hey, he's alive. But rather, he went back 
to the scriptures that were written a thousand years earlier under that poetic utterance that God had given David to tell them that God had said a thousand years earlier he had not left his soul in hell, but that he would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. And that was, that was powerful to me. I don't know if it was to you. To think about it, and I hope that you have done so since that time. And so with this, you know, that subject and our understanding, when, we, when I drew your attention to it, I reminded you that the thing that shifted in Peter that from the time that he denied Christ, the time that he was uncertain of his resurrection, to the point that he was so bold and so strong, was that God had opened his understanding. Does anybody remember that? I'm trying to recount and regather for a moment. And so it's, it's, a, it's something that we believe that it's supernatural, that, that, that actually it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God, that God literally, how many of you know, in our heart's understanding, in our, I mean, it might be, as Jay said the other night, between our head and our heart, sometimes we try to divide it too much, but it's kind of sometimes folded together. God has to open it. He has to reveal this to you. How many of you have ever had a revelation? Not just in the Word of God. If you're a husband here, I know you have had a revelation because you have been in your closet and you've been looking for a particular shirt or a tie or a belt. And you are looking and you're scanning your whole closet, up, down, all around. You're looking and you're like, wife, where's my tie? And she walks in, and she reaches her hand in, and there's the tie right in front of your eyes that was there the whole time. Hello, men folk. Now, let's be honest with this. What is that? That's a revelation. It was present, but it was obscure to your vision until somebody lifted the veil. That's what the Spirit of God does. The truths are present. Right? They're present. They're ready. But, but for whatever reason, the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. So that's like a veil. God has to lift the veil so that we have understanding that we can then see and understand and ponder the Word of God. And as Peter did so, as the Lord opened his understanding, he became emboldened in the knowledge that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Amen? And so for you and I, though, as, I, as, as we go farther, I'm believing that he is opening our understanding to the reality of his resurrection. And I pray that as he does so, it's going to lead us into the, to, to not just the reality of his resurrection, but the virtue of his resurrection. What does it mean for you today? What does, this, what does it provide in your life today? I'll tell you what it provides. Peter described it. It was the third verse. It's a lively hope. It's a living hope that you possess right now. It's not something you're going to get later. It's a living hope that's in your possession right now. There are three things. It's very pastoral today. I want to share three things with you concerning this lively hope of his resurrection. Number one, I want to share with you that his resurrection validates his doctrine and confirms his lordship. That's a powerful principle that you need to know. Number two today, I want to share with you that, his, his, that Jesus' resurrection confirms the promise of eternal life which is perhaps the greatest of all promises. What a terrible amen for such a powerful statement. But let's move on. Number three, Jesus' resurrection assures me of victory over, I started to blank that last part out, because if you read that, most everybody says, well, it assures me victory over the devil, because that's why we are infatuated with the devil. But I can tell you today, my struggle 
the, for my 53 years, has been more with me than it has been with the devil. But because he lives today, I have the promise that I have victory over the old man. And the old man, for you ladies, is not the man on your side. It's universal application. We'll pick it up here in a moment. Are y'all out there today? Number one, let's go to this just real quickly. Jesus' resurrection validates his doctrine and confirms his lordship. I want you to think about that for a moment, and I want you to search through the annals of human history and tell me of any other man that was ever born of a woman, man or woman, that has ever been born that prophesied his own death while living, told how he was going to die, told when he was going to die, told where he was going to die, and at the hands of whom he would die, and then prophesied about where he would be buried, and then say, and on three days later... I will rise again from the dead and show myself alive by many infallible proofs. Search the annals of human history, and you will find that there is only one that overcame death, hell, and the grave. And and so, with that resurrection, it validates two things. Number one, it validates his doctrine. That means the things that he taught. The principles that he shared, everything that Jesus taught us about God, about each other, about the community of faith that we now, we now live and function in, it is validated as true because of that singular moment where he said, I'm going to die, be buried, and be raised again from the dead. Does that make sense to you today? Because if he could prophesy that and it could come to pass exactly as he said, then that validates everything else that he said. How many of you know he's the living word of God today? Yes. Much of Jesus' doctrine was very revealing, wasn't it? There were things that were obscure to the minds of men and the eyes of men for thousands of years until Christ came. And two of which that I want to mention to you today is that it's revealed in this doctrine is Jesus. How many of you know Jesus talked a lot about heaven and hell? He was very, very specific. These are, you know, when you go back and read the word of God, what we call the scriptures, the old covenant, that the, these doctrines were very obscure But Jesus spoke of them as if he had seen them, and he had, because he was there in the beginning, and all things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so just for a moment of time, Jesus spoke often of a dimension beyond this mortal world. Do you believe in that other world today? I do. Uh, He even revealed, listen to this, that he came down from heaven and that he would again return into heaven. But, you know, so he spoke about heaven, to which I'm going to allude in a moment, but Jesus also spoke about a subject that is becoming obscure in our generation, hell. It's become, people don't want to talk about it, and, and, but, but Jesus did. Did you know that Jesus talked a lot about hell? He talked more about hell than he did heaven, warning us of the flames of hell. Then there's a number of his parables that we can look at. He spoke of hell. That was, he said it was made for the devil and his angels. And he revealed and he brought clarity to this doctrine. And when I mentioned last week, I mentioned the parable that Jesus taught. And I want to touch on it just real quickly again. It's known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So allow me to elaborate for just a moment. So going back into that particular text, it's in Luke chapter number 16. Jesus is making a comparison between two men. A rich man who the Bible says fared sumptuously every day. And Lazarus who was a beggar full of sores and sat at his gate. But I said last week, I'll repeat it again today, there's a common denominator in this life that supersedes our gender, it supersedes our race, it supersedes our economic status. 
And it's called death. And so death came to the pauper and death came to the rich man. But the Bible described, Jesus then described their experience totally differently though. And he said that in Abraham's bosom, Lazarus was comforted. And many have taught that as heaven. But I'm going to try to bring clarity to you for this today. So that was actually not heaven. No man had ascended into heaven as of yet. If you could go to heaven without the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, there was no reason for him to die. And so the doors of heaven had been barred for man. No man had access to the glory of God because there was not an atonement that, was, that could provide reconciliation between God and man. Until, until that precious blood dripped out of his vein on that tree we called Calvary, all right? And so with this, though, it was actually, what it's telling us, it was the abode of the dead. It was the abode of the dead. It was both places were in hell. One was just lower than the other. There was a great gulf. Many people believe that that was not a parable. I called it a parable, but if you'll read the text closer, Jesus never said it was a parable. He said there was a certain rich man. And he said, and a man called Lazarus. So it's very possible it wasn't a story that he used to teach a principle, but rather it was a reality, a present reality in the generation in which he lived. But in that context, we see a great gulf betwixt two. Lazarus is comforted in the presence of God, or in the presence of Abraham and the other, those that have followed Christ or followed the Lord from afar. But the man that had turned his back on God and had, had been selfish and lived without consideration and did not adhere to the word of God, that man was tormented in flame. And so with this, though, just for a moment of time, I wanted you to see in that text of Scripture that that place that that man was held in, the, the, the Lazarus was held, that was there, was uh, Abraham's bosom. Did you know the Bible says that when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, he descended into the lower parts of the earth? And so, how many of you know, a lot went on between the time that, you know, Jesus stepped out of time. He's no more in this dimension that you and I call time. We know that on the earth, it was three days from the time that he gave up the ghost to the time that he was resurrected. But he stepped into another dimension that's not dictated by the, by the ticking of the clock. And the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that he descended in the book of 1 Peter. We read in 1 Peter 1, but read it in 1 Peter 3, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth where he preached to the spirits that were in prison. And it is our belief, and you have to put this together, it's a kind of a, it's a little bit of a, a divisive doctrine. It's not held universally by the body of Christ. But many of us believe that Jesus appeared in Abraham's bosom to the men and the women that had followed God from afar, the, that had believed in the, in the word of God, trusted in the Lord. But there, the spirit of God was not producing regeneration until Christ's blood was applied on the tree. And so Jesus preached to those spirits, and then the Bible says that he led captivity captive because the book of Matthew chapter 27 says, after his resurrection, many of the bodies of the saints arose and appeared in Jerusalem. So what it seems as is that Jesus then shared that I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the one that you prophesied about. I'm the one that the prophets foretold about. I'm the one they put their trust in him, and he led them into God's eternal glory. But you know, that isn't all he did while he was there. The Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The Bible tells us that he now possesses the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so Jesus' doctrine, listen, his resurrection validates his doctrine about heaven and hell. 
Because in a 50-day window of time, he went to both. He went down, but he went up. He descended, but he also ascended. And when he ascended, though, he did not ascend the way that he died. He ascended with the keys. He was triumphant over death and of hell. And so what it tells me today is, is that you and I, not only because of his doctrine, because of his resurrection, we believe his doctrine, but let me tell you what we also believe. We believe his lordship. We believe today that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, some believe that in the end times that there's going to be one that is known as the Antichrist. Maybe there will be. Maybe there won't be a physical person. I don't know. There's a spirit of Antichrist. But let me tell you, whether it's an individual or a spirit, I want you to know that there is only one Lord over heaven and over earth, but also over the things that are in the earth, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word of God, through His death, burial, and resurrection, validates His Lordship. Are you all out here today? I'm grateful today that even the enemies now are subject unto us through the power of His name. The book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Let's read this, Lori, real quickly. It's on the screen. And He, being Christ, is before all things. And by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He is the preeminent one today, right? He is Lord of lords and King of kings. The writer of the book of Philippians said there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you say, Pastor, what gives us such a confidence that all the world, all the world's religions, all of the men and women that have ever been born of a woman will one day bow their knee and will confess with their mouth that Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Lord and Christ. Who is that? How do we have that confidence? Because we believe that he went into the earth and was buried, and three days later he arose from the dead. And his resurrection, are you all out here today? His resurrection validates his doctrine, doesn't it? And it confirms his lordship. Number two today, very quickly, very pastoral. But listen, we can't just come in here and just come to the place on a Sunday when there's excitement because everybody's dressed up. It's Easter. Family is in for a special dinner. People that don't come to church, don't darken the doors of the church at all, come once a year. And, and, and there's an excitement and there's a, a greater energy because uh, people are in the house that aren't used to being in the house and we're excited that they're here and I'm not trying to, 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 to diminish the fact that many came last week that didn't come this week. But I am stated as a present reality. But I want you to know today, we've got a we have a living hope today. We don't just have a one-year sermon that we get to build around and have a little celebration. We have a daily living hope that every day you and I can get up out of the bed and when you put your feet on the ground, whether you're male or female, rich or poor, whether you're going through a struggle in your life or whether you are on a, a very high place in your journey of life, it matters not. You have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It supersedes date and time, place. It's a principle of faith. It's a promise God's made to us, and we need to know what it affords for us and walk in the strength of it. Number two, Jesus' resurrection confirms the promise of eternal life. Can I talk about this for just a few moments? I said to you, it was in John chapter number three, the very famous passage about being born again. Jesus himself said, no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven. 
So we do know that following his resurrection, we know that from the cross to the throne, he did descend to the lower parts of the earth. But remember, when Mary tried to restrain him following the resurrection, he said, Mary, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended into my God and your God. And we know that after 40 days, when he had showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, having eaten with them, talked with them, visited with them, sitting on the seashore with them for 40 days, he took them to the Mount of Olives, Bethany. And there, somewhere in the vicinity of Bethany, the Bible says, in the presence of approximately as many as 500 people, Jesus ascended ascended. Now, let me tell you, I know there's another realm, so it doesn't mean he went into outer space. It wasn't like that Jesus was just a balloon, like a balloon a child has that's got helium in it, and you're out playing, and all of a sudden it slips, that little cord slips from the finger of the child, and you watch that balloon disappear as your child cries. Daddy, go get it. I can't get it. Bye. (laughs) Are y'all out there? When he... He disappeared from their sight, but when he did, he passed into another dimension. He wasn't just getting on the other side of the cloud. He was moving into another dimension that you and I call heaven. Can I talk about this forgotten doctrine for just a moment? I know that Jesus Christ right now, he lives, he lives, he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He's the great high priest mediating between God and us right now. You said, Pastor, I wish somebody was praying for me. There's one. There's one. You can rest assured when no one else is praying for you, there is one that's standing between God and you, praying for God's grace and will to be done in your life. But let me tell you what, what, what I want to talk for a moment of time, that I see through the power of his resurrection, you and I need to be more convinced than ever of eternal life. And the hope that we now possess as believers in Christ Jesus. Let me take you, as a pastor, this is something that I better know this. I better know this. Because the apostle or a prophet or an evangelist, they can roll in here and preach a dynamic message. And we can all be slain in the spirit and laying on the carpet when they leave. But let me tell you, a pastor is one that when that loved one steps into eternity... Or you may be that loved one sometime. Somebody that I love and have fellowship. And, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm your pastor and I'm preaching. We have broken bread together. And one day I get a phone call that you're gone. And I'm left with your family. And I've got to say something to them that's true and not false. That's not, that's not the figment of somebody's imagination but that is actually a biblical principle that's going to give you courage to keep moving forward. Are y'all out there today? I feel that in Jesus' name. And you know what it is today? I want you to know I thank God for a place called heaven. Right? It is our belief that upon death, upon death, if you were to breathe your very last breath, the Bible says that the moment that you do, immediately you are absent from the body and you are present with the Lord. I know that before Jesus' blood was applied, every man descended into a place in the lower parts of the earth. Some that were in hell were in torments, others in Abraham's bosom. But if you can look into Abraham's bosom right now, you today, you'd find it empty. It'd be like a giant warehouse. It would be empty because Jesus emptied that place. He brought all of those spirits out. The Bible says that he led captivity captive, and now they're enjoying the the things that have been prepared for them since the foundation of the world. And so because of his blood and because of the dispensation in which you and I live, we don't descend, we ascend. 
Right? We ascend into the presence of the living God. And the apostle Paul, who had been caught up into the third heaven himself in a vision before God, when he thought about his own demise, here's what he had to say. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far greater than to remain with you. And so now he did remain because it was necessary. But because he had had a revelation of the eternal glories of heaven, it was difficult for him to want to stay. And it's because of that luring of heaven. Let me tell you, as you age, heaven gets brighter. For the young adults among us today, all you can see is your life in front of you. All you can see is, am I going to college? Am I going to join the military? Am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? Am I going to have a career? What am I going to do? You're planning all of those things. But as you age, and some of that gets more in the rearview mirror, you start being more grateful for the promise of eternal life with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, that doctrine in this modern contemporary world is the greatest of all doctrines. Your best life now is when you have a revelation that if your best life were to end today, your best life has not begun. Your best life begins the moment you take your last breath on this side of eternity and you suddenly step into the presence of Almighty God. Did you know the Bible says that the old writer said this, it is so glorious that eye hadn't seen it, and ear hasn't heard it, and it hasn't even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. The only thing that we have is a glimpse given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We wouldn't even have the ability to be able to contemplate the wonders and the glories of heaven if it were not for the power of the Spirit of God. Let me tell you what this is. It's a living hope. It's a present reality. The hope of eternal life because of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know you have the, the Spirit of God inside of you right now is the earnest of your inheritance. It's the promise that you will live forever. His Spirit joined with your Spirit and declared you to be a child of the living God. And when His Spirit joined with your Spirit that brought you into unity and fellowship with God. And the last I look, God cannot die. Are y'all out there today? That's why Jesus said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Right? And then he even went further and said, He'll never die. And so you say, Pastor, what do you do? Do we believe in the resurrection? Yes, we believe that the spirit ascends and the body returns to dust. I do believe that. Job said it this way. After I die, he said, he said worms are going to destroy this body. I understand this. But the Bible does promise something what's called the last day. Sometimes we get so enamorated with the last days. I'm not as focused on the last days as I am the last day. Because when the last day happens, that's when the Bible says the trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised again. And we will be joined with our, I believe, here's what I believe, that in that moment of time, in his resurrection, here's what I believe, it would be just like what happened to Jesus' body. So Jesus' body was lifeless for three days in the tomb that had been borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. His spirit was in the lower parts of the earth. But on the third day, the Spirit of God took the spirit of Jesus and brought it back to his body and raised him from the dead. He was only dead for three days. His body didn't see corruption. But you and I, many of us, our loved ones, their bodies have 
have seen corruption. Dust thou were and dust thou art. But I believe that the God that called man from the dust of the ground in that moment of time, I don't care where, the, where your molecules are. I don't care where your body has been scattered. I want you to know that I believe that that God will bring that dust back together into a form and it will be shaping like his glorious body and your spirit will re-enter. Come on, somebody. And we'll be raised again to the glory of God. I believe that with all my heart today. Did you know I believe in that resurrected body? Let me tell you a little bit about it. Remember what Jesus said when he appeared to his disciples in Galilee? Um, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of the gospel. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, he said, we are of all men most miserable. Paul said, if the dead rise not, he said, then he said, you are, you are, if Christ is not risen, you're still in your sin. And he said, our preaching is vain, and we're found to be false witnesses of God. But I believe today that Christ is risen. And being Christ that is risen, you know what he is? He's the first fruits from the resurrection of the dead. Remember what Jesus said in Galilee? Can I help you with that for just a moment? I often do this when I do funerals. If, you get, if I do your funeral, you're thinking, wow, Pastor, that's some planning here on Sunday morning. I didn't know he was going to get into that. If you had a living, active faith in God, I'm going I'm to try my very best to comfort your family. I know there'll be weeping hot tears because there'll be the silhouette of your person laying in that casket. But I, want you, I will want them to know that your spirit is in the presence of Almighty God. But that there will come a day. There will come a day. Can I tell you about that? There will come a day. Remember what Jesus said when he was in Galilee with the disciples? He said this. He said, touch me. He previously had told Mary, he said, touch me not or restrain me not. But now he says, touch me and see. Because they thought he was a spirit. Does anybody remember that? He said, a spirit. He said, he said, a spirit has not flesh and bone as you see that I have. He didn't say flesh and blood. Why is that? Because Leviticus 17 teaches us that in this life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. But in the world to come, the life of the flesh is in the spirit. Right? So you can't live without blood. In this life, that makes you corruptible. And corruption shall not inherit incorruption. So a change has to be worked. Something marvelous has to take place. It's a miracle by the supernatural power of God. Corruptible will put on incorruption. And let's go ahead and read it there. Lord, let's put it there. It's just about eight verses. I want you to read it with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 50, it's on the screen behind me. He said, brethren, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. It cannot. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But I will show you a mystery. We're not all going to be dead, but we're going to all be changed. If you're in Christ, you're going to be changed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet is going to sound, and the dead are going to be raised incorruptible, and you and I are going to be changed. Verse 53, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. Oh, I feel Jesus on that. Death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, oh, death. I can sing it today. Oh, death. That's a song we ought to sing on Sunday mornings. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, the 57th verse. Thanks be unto God 
who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be unto God today. He's alive today. And his resurrection, his resurrection confirms to you the promise of eternal life. I thank God for that promise today. It's a living hope that I possess. This world is futile and it is fading. The writer said your life is like a puff of smoke. A wisp, King James English would say a wisp of smoke. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But if you have Christ in your heart by faith, you possess eternal life right now. And I'm telling you, that's the greatest of all promises. Lastly today, on a very pastoral Sunday morning, and you know what? I'm all right with that. Last I checked, y'all don't call me Evangelist Lee Brown. Y'all call me Pastor Brown. My responsibility is to teach. I want you, let's pause real quickly before we go to this final point today. As a pastor, I looked back for a moment of time as I thought about what happened last week. And it was a marvelous service. I thought it was a marvelous service. Presence of God, people, excitement, getting the opportunity to meet and a lot of people, it's, a, it's, a wonderful, it's wonderful to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But you know, there are people that will join us on Easter that will celebrate his resurrection but won't live in the power of it. Can I say that one more time? They will celebrate it. They know he's alive. There's something that's moved them in their heart to come out and say, yes, Jesus is alive. But they don't live every day in the living hope that we possess because, what, remember what, Peter's the one that wrote that. Peter, the one who had his understanding enlightened because of the Holy Spirit, would write, you've been begotten again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is what I value and I appreciate about it. This has nothing to do, again, male or female. We, in, in our culture, I think about this so much, we've we got to have very specialized ministries for women, absolutely, very specialized ministries for men. We've got to have specialized ministries for teenagers and, and, and for children, and even all the way to the nursery. But I'm telling you what I'm talking about today supersedes all of it. This is where if you're just a believer in Christ, this is a living hope for every one of us to know that because he's risen from the dead, I have a hope that no man can take from me. It's the greatest of all gifts in my life. And number three today, I do believe this. This is where my pastoral hat really gets put on. His resurrection assures you and I victory over the old man. That's that guy that you don't like to talk about. See, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is what we do in the American church. We blame everything on the devil. And we take very little responsibility for our own weaknesses. It's a lot easier to say, get thee behind me, Satan, than to say, God, I take the sword of thy spirit, and I mortify my flesh to the point of pain till I walk and talk and act differently to bring you glory. Are y'all out there today? Let me tell you, I feel Jesus because y'all have connected with me. It's, it's, it's easy to just say, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan's bothered me. That's the devil. It's another thing altogether to say, those were my thoughts I need to pull down. It came out of my mouth, and I need to repent of it in Jesus' name. It's a part of the old Adamic nature. What does that mean? That, that when you were born again, I talked about it earlier, you were born by the Spirit of God. The Spirit joined with your spirit, declaring you to be a child of God, but you're still living in a fleshly body that's still conditioned to sin. And thus, a battle is launched inside of you. It wasn't a battle previously. 
You just always yielded. You just gave in. That was just who you were. That was, uh, that was your sinful nature. But the moment that you got born again, you immediately found yourself at a place of conflict. You had a desire to do good, but your body and your mind and your affections want to do what it's always done, gratify itself. But the power of the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you assures you that you have victory over the old man, the old Adamic nature. When you read the Word of God, let me just go ahead and tell you, this, what I'm preaching in brevity today, just quickly to close this message, this is perhaps the central doctrine of the epistles. That as a believer, you have victory over yourself through the power of his resurrection. Paul teaches this principle through his epistles. So does Peter. Let me go ahead and pick you up in two passages to close the message. It's familiar. I love it. But I'm going to read it today, whether y'all want to or not. So let's go to Romans chapter number 6 for just a moment. It's going to start at verse number 4. It's about 9 verses here. I think 9 to 11 verses, but let's read it together today. I want you to read it with me. You've got to get this in your heart. Therefore, you and I were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. You say, Pastor, what's the will of God for my life? I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I'm trying to pray. Here's the will of God for your life, that you would walk in newness of life. That you are totally and entirely a different person. You were planted together in the likeness of his death. You shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. How many of you know that the body that came out of the grave was different than the body that went in the grave? The body that went in the grave could bleed and had pain and suffered, but the body that came out of the grave cannot die again. The body that came out of that grave, they, they tried to pierce his hand with a nail. It would not pierce his hand today because their change has been worked. Let's go further. Verse number 6. Knowing this, do you know that? Do you know this? You've got to have the understanding by the Holy Spirit. Your old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Listen, that you don't have to serve sin. Let's go farther. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You're dead. That old Adamic man, you're dead to that man. Verse 8. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Amen. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Do you live unto God today? Verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Come on, somebody. Let's join our faith on this in closing this message. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. But I'm alive unto God and to the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of his resurrection. One last passage here in Romans before I culminate and put all this together. It's four verses. It's two chapters over. It's the 11th verse. Let's read it of the 8th chapter. It says here, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken or make alive a living hope. Your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 12. Brethren, you are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do, there's that word, mortify. Yes. You mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Listen, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want you to know today because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside your heart, he sent his Spirit into your hearts crying, Abba, Father, through the power of his resurrection, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you you can live a god-pleasing life you can walk in all godliness you don't have to be subjective to the dictates and the desires of your flesh 
right? The appetites, the patterns, the practices that you've previously lived in. You, I don't want to hear it. Don't you tell me, well, this happened in my family a long time ago, and I'm still struggling with this. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Oh, I get so tired of that. That's carnal thinking. You've got to get rid of that in the name of Jesus. I know, yes, I know that the pain of our past can create trauma. I understand that. I recognize that. But I also believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. His body was traumatized. His body was wounded. His body was dead. But when the Spirit of God entered into it, He raised Him up in a glorious body, changed by the power of God. And I want you to know the Spirit of the living God came into your heart, and you can live in newness of life. You can walk differently, talk differently, act differently. People that, used to, that you used to hurt and you used to say vile things, I'm telling you it does not have to happen any longer. I get so tired in our generation of saying, well, now we're Christians, we're still going to sin. You tell me in the Word of God where it says you're going to sin. You tell me, you find it. I want you to search because you will not find it. Matter of fact, you'll find the author said this, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. He then said, but if any man sins or has sinned, you have an advocate with the Father. It's almost like we try to create a way out before we even start. That's not the will of God. Every day you get up and say, God, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm walking in the Spirit of God. Jesus is alive and so am I. Come on, my fleshly appetite's not going to dominate me. It may be a battle, a constant struggle, for, especially for a season. But I'm going to wrestle this thing down in Jesus' name until I live a life that's pleasing to God. And obviously, if I sin, what am I going to do? The first thing I'm going to do when the Spirit of God reveals that to me. right? I'm going to profess it and confess it unto God. But I'm going to live in a constant state of mortifying my flesh... And walking through the power of the Holy Spirit. I wrote it this way. Don't tell me. Let me say this to you. Don't, you know, we sing that song that says, don't tell me he can't do it, Shane. Right? I like that song. Don't tell me he can't do it because this brother's saying he's seen him do it. So I'm going I'm to add to that as I close. Don't tell me that you believe in Jesus. Don't tell me that you believe he died on the cross, was buried, descended into the earth, stripped principalities and powers, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and even now intercedes for you, but you can't overcome addictions. Let, let, let me go. Y'all didn't catch that. I'm gonna, don't you tell me that you believe that he died on the tree. Don't you tell me that you believe he was buried. Don't you tell me that you believe he went into the lower parts of the earth and preached to the spirits in prison and also stripped the devil of his power and was raised again the third day and now has ascended into the glories of heaven and you believe in him but you don't believe that you can't overcome addictions or you can't overcome the pain of your past or you can't overcome lust or you can't overcome bitterness or you can't overcome hatred. Right, because if you believe that he's alive, then you believe that God's called you to walk in newness of life. That's the living hope that his resurrection affords. I hope you don't think I'm angry as I preach that because I'm not. I might get frustrated with the way that we think. We think without having our minds trained in the word of God. If our minds become trained in the word of God, I can think like he wants me to think. I can ponder and see as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I think in my heart that the very instruments that I used to use for sin, I now can use as a yielded instrument for the glory of God. I can walk in newness of life. And where does that hope come from? Where does that hope come from? It comes from the resurrection. 
There's, there's a, and I've just, I've, just, I've just scratched the surface. You know I did, right? I just scratched the surface today. Please don't think that I've said anything here to condemn anyone. But I, if I have to get in your business pastorally to challenge you, fill your heart with what he said. Fill your heart with the word of God until you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And you also know who, know who Christ is in you. Right? Jesus' resurrection assures me of victory over the old man. Now, obviously, without being said, I believe in victory over the devil. But I'm telling you today, your greatest struggle will be with your old Adamic nature. And when you learn that by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you, you can mortify that. Every day you can choose to obey God. Every day you can walk in the peace and the grace that he gives you. Come on, somebody. Daryl's joined me on the platform today. It's the hope of resurrection. It's the lively hope. It's a living hope today. Peter preached concerning the resurrection of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. Last week, I referenced the fact that it was taken from a mictum of David, a holy written poetic poem that he used to validate that resurrection. That same apostle who preached so passionately that day, many, many years later, as he's writing to people that have been born again by the Spirit of God, he reminds them that they possess a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a living hope, isn't it? It's a living hope. Can I close this message here and give an invitation? There's a lot of pressure on pastors. Our pastors are going to get to visit some pastors this week, and we're going to hopefully have a little moment of iron sharpening iron. You know, everybody today gets measured against the, your favorite televangelist. This person, people extremely gifted, mega church pastors. We all, small church pastors, get measured. But I, I want you to know God's not measuring us. The Christian culture may measure us, but God, I, I, you know what I'm concerned about? I'm not concerned about being measured up against a, a mega church pastor. I'm simply concerned about being faithful to God. Amen. That's all. I, if I can just be faithful to him, faithful to serve, walk in a life that's pleasing to him. I arrived when I sat down. I knew, I know I've been doing this for 26 years. I know that there is a lull in the church that happens on the backside of Easter. And that's a tragedy because he's alive today. So I determined that when I came to this message, I wasn't going to turn the channel. I was just going to go a little bit deeper in the subject. And as this pressure comes, the pressure comes to be so specific. You know, again, we, 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 and, I, and I know that there's a little bit of criticism when I say something like this, your best life now, or seven steps to your best life now. And, and, and that can get you on the bestsellers list in America. But I believe that your best life is lived when you have a revelation of a living hope. When you, when you fully grasp to whatever measure God reveals to you that you're not waiting to possess eternal life, I possess eternal life right now. Are you hearing me today? His spirit joined with my spirit. I'm alive eternally unto God right now. And so if God, by his Holy Spirit, chose to take me into 
heaven and just that quickly if this body folded right in front of your eyes. You know that's happened before? Not to me, obviously. It's got to state the obvious every now and then. But there have been pastors that have died in the pulpit. Died in the pulpit with words of the gospel on their lips. But I want you to know when that happens, that brother has ascended into the presence of a living God. And he's more alive today than when he was preaching that message thundering across that platform. That's the joy that we need. That's the peace. That's the hope of eternal life. It comes exclusively from the glory of his resurrection. You know, I said it before about the apostle and prophet and evangelist. I'm not trying in any way to, to, to diminish those tremendous ministries. But pastors are often the, the ones that are walking with church family through those difficult times when you're saying goodbye to a loved one. Or, you know, and, and you're, I, I think about the youth. The, the teenagers under the sound of my voice, they need to have that living hope, don't they? They, they need to know that heaven is real. It's not just a, you know, a book that somebody wrote because they had a vision, heaven is real. No, the word of God, Jesus, Jesus revealed heaven to us. And we need to hold to that, cling to it in Jesus' name. It gives us peace and hope. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. I probably preached longer than I should have today. But I don't apologize for it. I really feel like it was the right word for a fellowship, a pastoral word, a living hope, a living hope. Do you possess that today? Do you possess that in Jesus' name? Do you have the hope? When I was a, a young boy attending the General Baptist Church, the preachers, when we had revival, they'd have everybody bow their head just like I did. And they would often ask a familiar question. I know you've heard it. Many of you were raised in church like I was. They would say, sir or ma'am, if you were to die today, that's hard. People don't like to think like that in our generation. But it's a present reality. Nobody's promised tomorrow. Not in this flesh, not in this life. If you were to die today, they would say, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? That's fair. That's a fair question to ask even amongst the people of God, isn't it? Did you know to the, the very fact today, most people still get saved in church than outside of church. That means that people can sit in a seat or a pew every Sunday and not be born again by the Holy Spirit. So it behooves me to give an invitation today. Do you have that hope, sir? Do you have that hope, ma'am? Teenager, part of the ICM student group, do you have that hope and that peace that if you were to suddenly pass into eternity, you know that you'd be welcomed in God's eternal kingdom, that you would be absent from the body and immediately present with the Lord if you don't have that hope you can possess it today you can receive it by faith it'll be a simple prayer that you pray with you, with me today and I believe you can be born again right here right now today I'm going to close this message by this invitation if you're here today and you say pastor I don't have the assurance of eternal life 
in my heart today. I believe in the reality of heaven and of hell, but I don't have the assurance that I would live eternally with God in the glories of heaven, and I want that today. If that's you, I want to ask you to be courageous enough to raise your hand, and I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Is there anyone today? I'm looking from my right to left. I'm looking. Anyone today, young or old alike, I'm waiting. That's fair to do. It's the right thing to do. In the name of Jesus, is there anyone? Anyone? In Jesus' name. Secondly, today, before I have you to stand, when I hit that one part of the message about the old man, victory over the old man, victory over the old man, who here today would just identify, just identify, and I'll pray over you in closing, that says, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me that I'll have the revelation that I can walk victorious over my old Adamic nature. And my sinful desires and things that, that have plagued me even after being born again, I can overcome as he overcame. I'll pray with you today, right where you're at today. Is there anyone, hands growing up, a few hands around this room? Thank you so much for your sincerity and your honesty. Won't you stand up with me today? Let's pray a very closing prayer, very pastoral. I love you. I want to say that today. I honestly, today, I'm not making, this is not fabricated. This is authentic. You are my family. This is my church family. It's a privilege to be your pastor. It's a privilege to share whatever gifting God's put in my heart and life to be able to connect with you. I want to pray over you today that we can walk victorious over the old man because of the power of his resurrection. Let's let our heads be bowed one more time and praying in closing today. Father, you saw the hands that went up. No one lifted their hand to profess faith in Christ, perhaps for the first time. However, many hands went up to say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me that I have the revelation that I have victory over the old man. That means I've got to, if you'll allow me to say this to you, you've got to unlearn some things along the way. You've got to unlearn some things that have been put in your mind by a number of places. But I want you to get zoned in on the Word of God. I want to pray that God opens your understanding to the revelation that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things literally passed away and God made all things new. I want you to live every day. I pray over you right now that you will get up tomorrow in the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that you will not allow thoughts to reside in your mind that keep you bound to the person you used to be. But that you will have the thoughts that you're going to be conformable to the will of God. Being changed every day, every moment by the work of the Holy Spirit. You will walk in love. You will walk in grace. You will walk in kindness. You'll stop speaking unbelief. You're going to stop speaking negative things. You're going to stop tearing down things that God said build up. You're going to speak life. You're going to declare hope. The glory of God's going to be in you in Jesus' name. You're going to be a reflection of the power, the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you. And he will quicken your mortal body. And you will walk. Listen to this. I bless every person. They will walk in the newness of life, God. They will walk in newness of life. Sin 
will not have dominion over you any longer. It's lost its sting in Jesus' name. It's lost its ability to control you. You will mortify those ungodly desires, and you will live a life that's pleasing to God. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said with Pastor Brown today, amen and amen and amen. Thank you all so much for coming out today. We will see you, if not before, but Wednesday. The meal is served at 6. Obviously, we'll be out there a little bit earlier. You could show up a little early and just uh, gather in fellowship together.